Coming to you from the land down under, this is the Inbound Outbound Podcast. Your number one source for actionable sales and marketing interviews for small to medium-sized businesses. If you're a business owner or salesperson in need of a good laugh and some great information, this is the podcast for you. And now your host, James Wright. Hello, closers. Welcome to episode three of Inbound Outbound, a sales and marketing podcast for the barraged business owner and soft sales team, giving you sales and marketing insights for action today and revenue tomorrow. This week, we have an extra special guest, someone with significant experience in the world of retail sales and marketing strategy. Owner of Concept Music, established in 1980, but we will refer to him quite simply as the maestro of marketing and the conductor of retail, Mr. Graham Hoskins. Graham, welcome Graham. on board. Thank you, James. Thank you, Anthony. Good welcome. to be here. <laughs> welcome. Thank you for coming down. Pleasure. Now, Graham, you've been in business quite a long time. How long have you been in business? I've had the shop for 42 years. Wow. So I opened it in July 1980. Yeah. Jeepers. That's uh, multiple, thought. Wasn't multiple a plan. decades. Wasn't a plan. Started in the Perth City? In Murray Street in West Perth. Wow. Found a premises there, was there for 20 years and shifted to Wembley, the current location in 2020. It's on in decades, actually. I opened the shop in 1980. In 1990, the owner doubled the size of the building for us because we were out of space. Then parking and access became a big problem in West Perth. So found the property in Wembley, shifted there in 2000. 2010, the air conditioning shop next door went under during the global financial crisis and then we took over that half of the building as well. So it's been on in 10-year cycles. The last of the 10-year cycles was COVID, so that was fun. What a marker. (laughs) It's a beautiful story. I've only just realised that was 10 years as well. So, Graham, I just wanted to ask, what was it like doing business in the Perth CBD? Because I've personally done a bit of business in there and, my God, difficult. Yeah, I was just out of the CBD, so I was up more towards Havelock Street yep. in West Perth. So that was a plus and a minus. Unfortunately, it was an area that people didn't think of as having a shop. So we used to often get people calling us from Murray Street in the city going, I can't find you, I can't find you. And I don't know, we're in West Perth. So they'd have to work it out for themselves pre the days of Google Maps and look up the phone book, dial the number and ring them and say, where are you? I remember coming there some 20 mm. years ago. It was a good location at the time. It was a big premises, had a big basement that we got for peppercorn rent that I could use for workshops and studios. As you grew, was traffic more of an issue, like parking spaces and things like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, that okay. was the big move. We got to the stage where people around us, a lot of lawyers, architects, the Liberal Party all moved in around me and the, you couldn't park. And so with our type of customers, they would be driving round and round the block and they'd come in angry because it was my fault that I'd had to drive around the block four times and I couldn't get a parking spot. And they would just leave. And for our kind of customer, which is musicians, they want to escape from the world. They want to park at your front door. They want to walk in, for f- plan on being there for five minutes, but leave in 25 minutes. Yeah. So, so you really built the store around your ideal customer being a musician, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Before we go there, 42 years ago, you're quite a young man. So 42 that, years ago. What does that write me now? What, I was just wondering. Go what on. possesses you and a there's a lot question. of courage, there's a lot of fortitude to say I'm going to build a retail store. What was that decision? How did that come about? 
Yeah, that, that's a good question. I reflect on that sometimes because at the time it didn't seem like a big decision. I'd got, I'd studied music at school. I played trombone, left school, played trombone professionally. I was very lucky that there was no other trombone players around. And in those days there was work for trombone players. And the place I bought my trombone from when I left school was going, what are you doing this year? And I wasn't a great student, I have to say, so university wasn't an option for me, even had I wanted to. And this guy I bought my trombone from said, what are you doing? Do you want a job? And I went, oh, okay. 17-year-old sure. standing there wow. going, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do. So he said, okay, come in tomorrow. And I went home and said to Dad, I've got a job. And he goes, what doing? I said, oh, in a music shop. He says, what are they paying you? I said, I don't know. <laughs> first, first words out of his mouth. Yeah. Oh, it was, yeah, no, I think my first paycheck was about $25 for the first week. And he forgot Jeez. to pay me the first week. His wife sorted him out the week after. Wow. wow. That was 19, yeah, so that would have been 1972. So did you have mm. to fund this obviously yourself or did mm. mum and dad pony up? How did you come up with that money? Oh, I was lucky. I had a lot of support and that's why it wasn't such a – I didn't feel it was such a big decision. I've worked at that other shop for eight years and by then it became obvious there wasn't a future for me because of family coming up with the business, which is fair enough. I just felt I had a lot of encouragement from customers going, geez, Graham, you should do this yourself. I went, oh, I suppose that's an option. And there's things I wanted to do. I thought arrogantly as a 25-year-old youth that I could do it better. Everybody does. I reflect on it now. I had to have, I was naive. I probably had enough naivety to think I could do it and enough experience to pull it off. And a bit more either way, I possibly never would have tried. Passion and street smarts take you a long way. And a lot of encouragement by the sounds of things. Yeah, wow. I had good people around me. I had existing customers. I had ex-school teachers. My family was – I said, oh, this is what I want to do. And they said, yep, fair enough. So um, have you always been entrepreneurial? Well, I read that when you sent me the list of questions. I <laughs> don't think I've ever That was been, my question, what? by the way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Very erudite question. I don't think I've ever thought of myself as entrepreneurial or used that term about myself. But I look back at it now and I am a little bit surprised. 42 years, you're doing yeah. something right. Yeah, People say that and it's nice to hear it, I know, but it's just what I do. But it's just what I do so I don't see it as – and I'm not saying that arrogant. I don't see it as anything special. I just see it as I turn up every day and I try to make people happy. I try to buy good gear and help people choose their gear. And you say about my stock level, I didn't start with a million dollars worth of stock and I went backwards fast for the first two years. I didn't earn even enough to pay income tax for about four years. You just said something then. I'm going to pinch on there. Is it okay to say your stock level? Oh, I've got over a million dollars worth of stock now, but that's built up wow. over 40 years. But it wow. started with $30,000. I was amazing. I was more interested about how he started it. Yeah. 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 Wow. And I had good relationships because I'd already been in the industry for eight years. I had good relationships with suppliers already. So they were things were different then. They were quite happy to give me an account and say, yep, sure, Graham. Music shops were very easy to get into. Just impossible to get out of once you're in. <laughs> Especially if you've got a massive passion for music. Yeah. yeah. Quick question. How many famous people then have walked into your store? Oh, gee, countless. It's And it's quite gratifying, really, when I look back at it. Most of the local bands, many of the local big bands even, have been coming in since they were school kids. So I can remember serving Diesel when he was Mark Lazotte in school, in his school clothes from... Wesley College. Wow. I used to come in quite a lot as a little kid looking at the instruments. And so now he's diesel. So 
Is he famous? Yes, he is. Does he come in? Yes, he does. But so most of the local bands over the years, whether that's the Eskies or any, I've known most of those guys since they were school kids. So it's quite fun to see them come up. And now they're coming in with their kids going, I bought my first guitar off Graham and now I'm going to buy you a guitar. And I go, God, that's time has flown, hasn't it? If you um, had to say, who was my top one, two famous people? Top t- one, two, three. Interestingly, one of them was someone I'd never heard of. And this, it wasn't this that would be longer. me. This would be somebody would walk into my store and I'd be like, Who are they? Yeah. yeah. Or it should be like that. Yeah. We, we often get customers oh, say, Is that so and so over there? I go, Yeah. It comes in all the time. It's, oh, but gee, countless. I've got a good story I'll save for later. Okay. But Joe Walsh was a standout for us. Joe Walsh from the Eagles. And I remember I wasn't even in the shop when he came in. I was in Sydney at a music association executive committee meeting and I got a message from one of my staff saying, Joe from the Eagles was just in. And I'm running through the Eagles football team going, Joe, there's power. No, no, Joe, no, Joe. And I said, Joe? And he goes, Walsh. Oh, my God. And I was in Sydney and I'd missed it. So I came back the next day and – Hang on. Did you get a photo is what I would have sent back? No. Social media. He bought his mind. You were so uncool, Anthony. He's going taking a photo of people. Social media. Story to that. No, there's a story to that because he sent it in his minder first – and the minder comes with instructions and he says, I've got Joe Walsh outside. Oh, my God. I'm going to bring him in. Leave him alone. Don't talk to him. If he wants to know something, he'll ask you. Don't ask for photos. Don't ask for autographs. Fair and reasonable. So that was like the ground rules. Really? And, yep. and that's fine. That's <laughs> Okay, that's what we do. So nobody got a photo. Yeah. Bugger me. I come back from Sydney. He comes in. So cool. Then he comes in a third time. Now you know and, you're doing something right. And he's chatting to everybody and he's asking their advice on what does this pedal do and what about these leads? Have you got these sort of capos? And I'll get some strings. And so it was super cool that he came in once, but it felt like wonderful vindication that he came back a second time, came back a third time just on his own and bought oh, – he's obviously a gear junkie as most – like all my customers, he's a gear junkie and he yep. just kept coming in buying more gear. So – that, he's, he was a big highlight. And we did get a photo in the end and we did ask him to sign a guitar, even though it still felt awkward. Jaden Smith came in and bought a very nice guitar. Now, I didn't know oh, who wow. Jaden was, but yes. I'm saying, oh, someone got Jaden Smith. I think he's Will Smith's son. And it's not my era. It's not my genre. And other, my God, you're kidding. Do you know who he is? I said, well, he's Will Smith's son. That's all I know. And of course, <laughs> next side is on stage at the stadium. And uh, I go, oh, that's who Jaden is. Tommy Manuel's become a good friend over the years. Tommy, we've done a lot of workshops with, a lot of in-store appearances with. And for some reason, he's just one of those people that the first time I met him, I had to pick him up from the airport to bring him into the store. And we just got along extremely well. And so the next time he's in Perth, he'd call again, Graham, I'm back in Perth. Can I come in? And Graham, have you got time for lunch? And So he's become regular, a good friend and a a strong regular and nearly every time he comes or every other time he'll say, any chance we can do a workshop or do you want me to do something for you? So they'd be my top three. There's countless others. Johnny Butler used to come in a lot and that's the funny story I'm coming back to. Okay. Because I was in my office and there's somebody in the amplifier room arcing up. (laughs) Which I'm guessing is a (laughs) no-no. No, everybody arcs up, but it was just John Butler tunes. I'm going, God, and they were loud. And after about half an hour, I'm like, this is too much. And I come out of the office, I go, who who the hell is in there? What are they doing? What are they looking at? What are they buying? They said, it's John Butler, he's trying amps out. (laughs) 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 And so I thought, anyone can come in and play John Butler, it's John Butler. Wow, (laughs) wow. So let's move on to your business. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. We want to know about your business. What makes you successful? How did you know 
you had the makings of a successful business? I don't know. I just think I – it wasn't like oh, I'm going to be a success and I'm going to plan this and I'm going to do that. It's just, oh, yeah, I think I could open a music shop. I think I could do a good job of that. And I just did it. So it was – I don't know where on the journey. I don't think I've ever sat back and think, oh, shit. I've become successful. I just know that I'm still there and over the years the brands have increased, the quality of the brands have increased and people approach me now when they want to put a new product in the store whereas early days it was, please will you supply me with this brand, please? And they go, we've got enough people selling our product. People approach me now and say, Graham, would you please put in our range of product? And I'll look at the product and if I think it's a good product and it's good for my customers and they're good people to deal with, we'll have a look at it. What are the terms like these days, though, with your suppliers? Have they changed? Are they, um, is it more of a grind? I've always tried to have an extremely collab- collaborative relationship with all my suppliers. I just think it's smart. In retail in general, I have found that retailers have an adversarial relationship with their suppliers. That's normally true, yeah. Yeah, and, and which I don't understand. And every time I get to talk at a convention, a musical convention, I'm challenging people Your suppliers are critical to your business. Correct. They finance your business. They hold your stock for you. They take care of the warranty. Why would you want to piss them off? And, oh, but they asked me to pay my bill. I said, God forbid. (laughs) I'm constantly amazed by people who get pissed off with the secretary or treasurer of some organisation who's rung up demanding to get paid. And I go, that's their job. They're just doing their job. And I found that most, 99.9% of people are extremely easy to get along with and extremely cooperative and helpful. They want your business. The trick is communication. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, my very first accountant taught me a lot of lessons there when things were really hard and you struggled to pay the bills. I remember him saying to me once, he said, I owed a particular supplier quite a bit of money. I still had all the stock. It just wasn't selling through. So that's lessons as you go. That sometimes buying a lot of stock because the supplier tells you it's a great idea. Yeah. Do you have a 90-day holding term or? No, no, 30 days. Yeah, nice. Some, some it's cash up front. But with the supplier situation, I was struggling with a particular supplier. I said, look, I can't pay him. I can't pay him. He said, well, just pay him something. Paying something every week. And I said, oh, isn't that a bit embarrassing to just pay a few hundred dollars off my thousands? Nope. And he said, well, ask yourself this question. If you had a customer owed you a lot of money and you heard nothing from him for 10 months and he fronted up and paid you all the money in one hit – or would you rather they came in every week and said, Graham, here's a couple hundred bucks. Graham, here's a couple that, hundred bucks. He said, that shows you that they're trying. He said, you've got to show them you're trying. You've got to show them that you're genuine. You've got to show them that you don't hold back and don't not return their calls. That's and, wonderful advice. I think that's a top tip. That's going down as a top tip. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay. Communicate. And that goes in both directions. I'm it's, always telling my staff, we want win-win. You hear win all the time. It's a cliche. I say, I like my suppliers to win. I want you guys, the shop, to win, and I want my customers to win. Because any one of those three people doesn't win. In the end, you haven't got a business. Your customers will leave, suppliers will cut you off. Talking about terms got very strict a few years ago, pre-COVID, so it must have been five or six years ago, there was that stage where retail was struggling. There was about eight shops in Perth closed down, music shops in Perth. There was about 20 around Australia, and a lot of suppliers lost a lot of money. And so all of a sudden – they were being very strict on their terms because they were like worried you might be next and they, they had to protect their – they had of their course own profitability. Their own. And as I say, I was like, we need our suppliers to be profitable. We're not trying to screw them. We're trying to be fair. Yeah. We want a good deal. Yeah. Just yeah. like everybody wants a good deal. But I read, I remember reading an interview once with someone. He said, it's okay to make your suppliers bleed, but you don't want them to die. You know? <laughs> and I've never forgotten that, that you don't want them to die because they finance my business essentially. I was – 
wanted to ask earlier a little bit, why did you think all these gearheads kept coming back to you, coming back to you? But then you've just talked about the relationship with your suppliers. Is yeah. it because the quality of the relationship of your suppliers giving you a quality equipment in stock all the time and then that keeps keep people coming back? Or why do you think these um, people that can buy gear essentially from anywhere yeah, that's keep coming back to you? That's a challenge. I noticed you had in your notes something about what's your USP and it's a real hard one because people generally come with, oh, we give the best service, the best range and the best price. Yep. But everybody says that, therefore it's completely yeah. meaningless. And by the way, you can't. And not true. And, James, and it's what's not USP? Unique sales proposition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what is it? And I've been challenged of that many times. Even before I started, before I opened the shop, my father had a, a client. He worked at IBM in computers back when computers were mainframes. And I had lunch with somebody from Market Force. He was one of the directors of Market Force Marketing. And he's going, Graham, who's your demographic? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like a 24 year old kid. I'm going, oh, everybody. And he goes, no, that's not everybody, Graham. Who's your Need demographic? No, everybody is. Musical instruments are unique. Everybody's my customer. Yeah. And he pushed me on and eventually said, okay, fair enough. And didn't come back to it. And it was a couple of years later in me going to a lot of marketing, a lot of advertising, a lot of copywriting. I was fascinated with consumer psychology that I started to get what he meant. And I started to realise that everybody isn't my customer. Everybody might be a customer for petrol or bread, for musical instruments. Mums and dads are a demographic. White collar employed, primarily sexist guys. Oh, I'm are sorry. A big demographic. <laughs> big demographic. If they're living at home, don't have a mortgage, don't have kids, maybe aren't married, big demographic. Because everything's at their disposal. It's like if you're got going paid, through what can COVID I buy? And you're locked down. Yeah, that's COVID. Demographic. Yeah, that that, be, that became everybody's our demographic. Yeah. But we've got uh, three or four primary demographics. The young guy who's got a job or girl who's got a job, they're passionate about their hobby and that's what they spend their money on. So that's, a, that's our biggest demographic. They might come back into the market when they're 50s, after they've sold all their gear, the kids have just left home, they've paid off their mortgage, they've got a sports car. I want. I never should have sold my guitar. They're a demographic. How many times? Parents are a demographic, demographic. Schools are a demographic. So because you have good relationships with your suppliers, yep. do they look after you with hard-to-find instruments? Do you get uh, special, uh, this reissued guitar, this 1954? I'm going to say yes, but it's, it's a – Nothing's black and white. I've learnt that over the years. When I started out, everything was black and white. Now everything shades of grey, with apologies to that analogy. Because suppliers are in an interesting position. If you look at the sales reps that come into my store, if they're smart, they'll build a relationship with my staff and with me. If they're smart, they'll give me genuine advice about what's hot and what's not and where opportunities are. And they'll see my shop and they'll go, look, I reckon this will work in your store, Graham. But I'll soon find out if that's bullshit or not. So it's yeah. understand so, that you're looking for someone that actually genuinely yes. cares about yeah. your business. Yeah, so if they're just trying to push lock out product that they can't sell anywhere else, that'll become evident in a few months, six months' time, and that's proven itself. But the suppliers are in position because a rep comes in who's selling XYZ brand. After you see my guys and my stuff, he's got to go to the next shop and go, hi, guys, how are you going? Then he's got to go to the next shop and go, hi, guys, how are you going? Be friends with everyone. Be friends with everybody. <laughs> yeah. And that's smart. It's... I give my kids that advice, I give my staff that advice. So just be nice to everybody, be gender to everybody because you don't know who they're going to be. Even if you don't know who they are now, you don't know who they're going to be either. And it's, isn't it nicer to be nice to people? They say that yeah. just yes, it's nice some to be people nice. are tough to be nice to. Yeah, they are. They are. And they're the I challenging struggle with ones. some days. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But we get a lot of customers who come in and they're narky or they're upset. And I go, but we'll stop and I go, we don't know how the last shop talked to them. 
We don't know what their journey is before they got here. Some people are angry and pissed off and upset and suspicious, but hey, maybe there's something, some reason behind that. So our job is to try and get them to trust us, to relax, Ask to be genuinely with them. Asking gives control is the old, another old sales cliche, but it's absolutely true. And that's the first thing I tell my staff is ask questions. Don't answer the questions, ask questions. This is surprising for me with you because that shows a level of emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence Ooh. is huge <laughs> at the moment. It, As it, in is, saying, it has become it, a catch. It, this is yeah. like very big in the industry yeah. right now. And that's, sorry, the point I would make, not trying to yeah. bag you. I'm saying that it's you're very sensitive and obviously you are aware to other things going on. Whereas yeah. a lot of blokes, me included especially, would be like, yeah, no idea. Yeah, I don't know if it's a, you could call it a skill, whether it's just a personality thing, I don't know. But it's the quickest way thing. to get people on side, I mean, take a cliched example of a school teacher. Do you want to get the school teacher on side? You don't say, oh, geez, you guys got it good, haven't you? Work nine hours, eight, eight hours a day and you've got six months of the year off and, oh, geez. I do make those jokes you know, with my teacher friends. <laughs> you would never say that to a teacher. <laughs> yep. You would empathetically say, oh, my God, I could never do your job. I couldn't do what you do. How do you not go home every night and fall down in tears and crying because of the little darlings that you've had to deal with. Yeah, but you can either be smart about it and tell them, oh, geez, you've got a good job, or you can be empathetic and ask them questions and say, how, so how was your day? What, have you got any good classes this year? I'm surprised over the years. Teachers come and say, oh, this year I've got a really good class, but, oh, God, last year they were a pain in the ass. And I go, isn't it interesting that one year they have good kids, another year they've got bad kids, and Teachers tell me this. They tell me it happens. But from um, you, Graham, I get a sense because I haven't met you before that it's a really it's a, it comes from a genuine place. That's a, the only reason I don't like to use the word genuine or authentic now. It's become like emotion. Come best service, best price phrases. But my history with all my stuff always is be genuine, be in the moment, and be authentic. I used to try and get them to attend a lot of sales training before I'd let them lose some of my customers. Now I sit them down for an hour and I have a chat and I say, look, your job is really simple. Everybody who walks through that front door. You've got to treat them like they're your best friend you haven't seen maybe for a couple of years, maybe for a few months, and they know nothing and they need your help, they need your advice. If you give the same advice to everybody that walks through that front door as you would give your best friend, you can't go wrong. Now, that's not always you need to spend more money or you need to spend less money, but it's but you've got to get to know them as well. They don't know who you are. Why should that person walking through the front door trust us? Why was the first time they walked in, why did they do that? Were they on their way somewhere? Were they bored? Why did they come in the front door? And for new staff, that's hard because they don't know if when Anthony walks through the front door, he's been coming to concert music since he was 14 or this is his first time in the store. So one of my mantras is you get one chance to make a first impression. So somebody who's never been in the store before, they walk in and they look around. I've got to make sure they've got the, oh, wow, oh, this is cool. But I've also got to make sure if they've never met that staff member before, they go, oh, He's cool. She's cool. That staff member's got one chance. The shop's got one chance. So you get one chance to make a first impression, and that's critically Do you think important. that's through, though, in terms of the way you lay out your store and oh, the, way, the way you position your staff? Is that sort of Absolutely. Go- yeah, absolutely. I try to. Nothing's perfect. There's always sure. another one of my mantras is you can always do everything 1% better. So if something's not done the way I like, I say, guys, we can do 1% better here. How do you approach that thought process? I try to remove myself from it. It's interesting. Sometimes I need to be out of the shop to do it. So if I'm at a convention or something, I find it. I remember talking to a wholesaler once. I said, when I'm at a convention, it's like I've jumped out of my aquarium, which is my shop, 
and I could be objectively looking at it from the outside. But when I'm in the shop, it's like being inside the aquarium, swimming around. And when you're swimming around in it all day, you don't necessarily see, see that, that plant's dying or that rock should be moved or, gee, my little mate in the corner's looking a bit bum up, isn't he? When you hop out of your business and observe it externally, it's very different from being on holidays. So I used to talk to this in the, this manager, this wholesaler. So when I'm at a convention or at a dealer flying, it's like I'm jumping out of the aquarium and I've got this objectivity that I can stare at it from the outside and look at it and go, that's got to change, that's got to change, that glass needs cleaning and that rock's got to be moved to extend that analogy. But inside, I will regularly open the front door and just look. I'd pull back right at the front door and look around and I go, is a customer going to be comfortable when they walk in? What are they going to see? Do they know where they've got to go? Do you extend that to the street? I, yes, I do, even to the extent that I'm a great believer in taking external expert advice and listening to people, particularly if they're qualified people. But even once I had some students come in, there was a local university used to send their marketing students in once a year and they'd come and interview me and talk to me and they'd write a proposal about what I should do. And one of the groups came back and said, we can't see where the front door is. So I can either go, oh, it's bullshit. What do you mean you can't see where the front door is? You're blind. We can I, take I the walked feedback. outside. I walked out and looked at the bit I looked at the building and went, shit, they're right. Because we've got a second set of doors because it took over two units. Yes. When we took over the second unit, that door looked exactly the same as our front door, even though our front door's got an awning over it. But the frame was the same colour, the doors were the same colour. And they said when they walked up to the shop, they didn't know how to get in. And I thought, now isn't that interesting? I never would have seen that. I was blind to it, because I know where the front door is. So I quickly got out the same colour paint as the wall and painted out that door and the door frame so you couldn't see it anymore. So that's a one percent. Yeah. Of course we've got a front door. Of course they would have found it. But you want people to walk in relaxed and confident. And making it easy. Yeah. And you want walking into a music store or a camera store, a bike store, a sports store, walking in for the first time is very intimidating if you've never been there before. Yes. We're there all day every time. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you've got that, yeah. that one chance to make a first impression. If the staff look at you or don't acknowledge you and just go glance over at you and glance you up and down, you go. I actually got the eye roll. Oh, yeah, really? yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot. It happens a lot in music stores. And so the challenge there is to go, so I try to teach my staff always to try and make eye contact immediately and acknowledge them immediately. It doesn't have to be drop everything and run over and say, can I help you? I hate the term, can I help you? But even if you're on the phone or serving somebody else, you can still look at them and wave and give them a little smile and say hi. And then the customer knows they've been acknowledged. They know that you've, they're there. And because most customers, if you walk up and say, hi, how are you going? They go, oh, just looking. And you go, that's okay. To be honest, though, okay. some, especially in a special, specialty store like a music shop, someone like me that has, I'm not musically mm. gifted. I think I got banned from playing a trombone when I was like 12. <laughs> that should never happen. That's a great thing. Yeah. And yeah, I actually just genuinely want some help because I walk into, walked into the other week and I was like, where do I yeah, start? Yeah, some people will. They walk straight up to the counter. 90% of people, we talk about body language and store layout. I use all three stores that I've designed and developed. I've used interior designers with retail experience to work, talk about the psychology of the movement how people are going to walk and where their Love pathways the are. We've got the old, as you would know, Anthony, we've got that old antique sofa right in the front corner as you walk in the shop. And that's for psychological reasons. That for me, saying to my customers as they walk in, it's okay, you can chill out, you can relax here if you want, we're not going to jump on you. So we're not going to try and sell you something. That's is, not our job. Is that the psychology similar to uh, when men get brought into a women's store where you've got to have their couch for yeah. a bloke? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I love that. 
Yeah, or the toys in the corner <laughs> for the kids. You're just saying, yeah. hey, I get it. I understand. I mean, our couch gets used by mums and girlfriends and boyfriends all the time while they're like, oh, he's off trying another guitar. Yep. And, uh, but it just it's a psychological statement. Rather than having a counter at the front door that says, can I help you? It's just say, hey, relax. We're not going to try and push something down your throat. Yeah, because I read on your website that you hire only experienced musicians. Yes. How do you get that particular demographic, Mm. I don't have a better word for it, to move into the sales and retail sort of mindset? Yeah, that's a good question. Sorry, it's not on the list. No, that's a good question (laughs) because sometimes that's a struggle because people think they have to be a salesman. Yeah. And I've had musicians come and work for me and they go, oh, I don't know how you did it, Graham. I'm thinking of a particular person here. I don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how you guys do it. I said, what do you mean? And he said, oh, I just told that guy, that guitar that he's looking at, it's the last one we've got and they're going up in price and you can't get them anymore and it's a bargain and he still didn't buy it. And I go, that's because everything you said was bullshit. And not true. And not true. But the challenge there is I'll just teach the staff to listen, ask questions, and I'll even go as far as, and I literally say this in my sales, my I don't call it sales training now. It's there when they first start with me, we sit down and have a chat. I say, look, your job is simple. It's talk to people, ask questions. Three questions, if I'm going to be cliched about it, there is some tactics. I let the, I don't like anybody answering the phone on the first ring. I like it to ring four to five times. Oh, okay. Less than three is too little. More than six is too long. After six, they're going, oh, God, are they ever going to answer the phone? They've already left mentally. If you answer it straight away in one ring, it's, oh, who did I call again? So let it ring three to five times is that, and they've given a, a script they have to use. So, yes, there's you could call them tricks, but they're you actually – You do go as far as scripting that. Yes, yeah, wow, absolutely, wow. absolutely. Yeah, Everybody that you ring us should say, good morning or good afternoon, concept music, this is Anthony, this is Graham. And the last thing they should hear is your name. Because if you say, hi, concept music, Graham, can I help you? The last thing I hear is, can I help you? And they've forgotten your name. So there's a higher degree of chance that they're going to remember your name if that's the last thing they hear. There are some big brands. I've worked for them. Don't do that. And it's simple. Very simple. Asking permission is one of my mantras with the guys. Don't say to somebody, is Graham there? Oh, hold on. I'll to ask their permission. If you're serving a customer and okay, the Graham. Fo- we all get yeah. excited around here. Yeah. <laughs> no, but if you're serving a customer and the phone's ringing, what do you do? You look at your customer and try to ignore it, or do you keep looking at the phone and watch your customer look at the phone? So it's simple. It's simple. You can't not answer the phone. So you just say, Anthony, do you mind if I answer that phone? And Anthony's going to tell you. Go, oh, mate, oh, he's the nicest guy in the world. He's so polite. And I answer the phone. I go, hi, it's Graham. And they go, and I look, I'm with a very important customer right now. Do you mind if I call you back? I'll take your Thank number. you for your call. Thank you for your call. Do you mind if I put you on hold? So don't put them on hold. Ask, is it okay if I put you on hold? Ask Anthony, Anthony, is it okay if I answer that phone? Once you've answered the phone, is it okay if I put you on hold? But asking them permission, people's responses change dramatically from if I say to you, oh, hang on, I've got to get that. Yeah. The result, the action's the same. I'm going to answer the phone. But if I say, James, hang on, I've got to get that, you're going, hang on, mate, I was here. I'm, first, I'm actually I'm here in the store. The yeah. who, who is it? You know, I you, don't know who it is. So. You put down like a hierarchy because I know yeah. big brands do a hierarchy of things to do. Person that comes in the store, phone email, then outbound stuff. Yeah, most of it's do it now and do it immediately, whether that's people these days, they send an email and if you don't answer them in 10 minutes, they'll be on the phone ringing. I've sent an email, but no one's got back to me. That gets back to another mantra, which is under-promise and over-deliver. We'll talk about that later. So getting back on track. Miles off track. Are you a sales-first strategy company or marketing-first can they be distinguished? We love this. We, we talk I, about I'm this a, every I'm week. A, every week. 
I'm a believer that perception is reality. Even though at one of my first marketing courses I went to, I remember the tutor writing up on the blackboard as it was then, perception is reality. And I went, bullshit, what's he talking about? And he says, it doesn't matter what you do, it matters what people think you do. And it took me a long time to understand what he meant by that. But it was. I could have the best range of trombones in the world, but if everybody thinks I only sell guitars – I don't sell trombones. Yeah. You know, so because they don't know. So perception their perception of my story is their reality. And so I've got to deal with their perceptions of what we do. Is that marketing? Is it selling? I love selling, but selling for me is helping people choose the right instrument. I've still got a big problem with online. I know that you're talking about online and I've got a philosophical problem with online. Maybe because it's my you lose generation. The, the you genuine... lose the intimacy. I can't help people. It's price. This it is becomes that... all about price. Yeah at the irrelevance to everything else, including relevance. So is that selling? I don't know. But a good example, you asked me about sales experiences or stories. A couple of years ago now, I had a, a mum and a dad come in with their daughter. We've come to buy a guitar for our daughter. It's her 18th birthday. And I said, oh, wonderful. We're going to order this one online. It was a student model guitar worth a couple of hundred dollars. It was a good guitar for a beginner. I talked to them and they said, so have you played anything before? Oh, yes, she's been playing cello for eight years. Oh, so she's a good cello player. She's a musician already. And getting the, asking the questions, what have you looked at? It was kind of stuff. And what do you play already? Do you asking them questions? I said, you don't want this $200 guitar. Your daughter's a musician. She wants a musical instrument of quality. And they go, oh. In the end, they spent about $700 and quite a nice guitar. Now, we've got guitars for $7,000. It wasn't like I was rubbing my hands going, oh, I talked them into a $7,000 guitar and they came in for a, a guitar pick. But they left. And as they left, they said, we're so glad because we were going to order that $200 one online. But we thought, oh, we might as well go in there and get it ourselves. But once they got in there and saw the range and they talked and she could hear the differences and she could see what was going on, their response was, we're so glad we didn't buy it online. Is that a key difference? Because I had that emotional response as well. I brought in my daughter, Isla. We were going to go for that $200 acoustic guitar because Isla's learning yep. guitar. The guy there, he was like, okay, have you tried anything else? Mm. No, she's just learning. Mm. We don't really know anything. Mm. But the difference between that $200 guitar and I think it was probably a three four hundred guitar, yeah. Kato, yeah. was just There's quite a dramatic light difference. and day. That doesn't mean you – I think all my des- all my customers deserve the option or the choice. It's not to me to prejudge, oh, you're starting. Oh, here's the cheapest $200 one we've got. That's not my decision to make. It's arrogant of me to make that decision. So my job is to explain the differences because they all look the same. If you walk in the shop and you've never looked at guitars before, how come that's $5,000 and that's $1,000 and that's $200 because they all look the same? And that can be bike shops, camera shops, can be anything. So it's my job to explain the difference and make sure they feel there's no stupid questions because that's the other thing you never want to do, make people feel stupid for asking a question. You thank them for their question. You say, that's a good question. I'll teach that to my staff. People ask a question, even if you think it's a dumb question, thank them for asking the question because you're encouraging them and you give, then it you gives you an opportunity to give them information. Oh, wow. So to yeah. me, that sounds like sales strategy first and we'll deal with marketing later. Do you know what? I am learning so much me too. in this podcast. <laughs> okay. Something what, I love. What, what are we talking about, marketing? Or, uh, <laughs> a little bit of both. We just You've got to have something to market. You've got to have something to market. Then when people come in, yes, I'm trying to sell them something, but I believe that concept music is the best place for anybody to buy a musical instrument. If it's something we don't deal in, I'll tell them where they should go. My ex-boss was, if we haven't got it, nobody's got it, you're not to tell them anything. And I'm like, we're going to find out anyway, so shouldn't you be their 
person of reference that they go to when so they it sounds like help. to me then that your product is your customer service. Yeah, yeah, to a degree. Or and my knowledge and my experience. Yeah. They have to trust me. The first thing I learned in sales training was if people don't like you and people don't trust you, they won't buy from you. People buy from people they like and they trust. So that's your job to get them to trust you. And you do that by showing interest in them and saying, so how long have you been playing? Someone comes in and says, I want to buy this little 10-watt bass amplifier. Do I sell it to them and say, good choice, sir, thanks very much, that's $200? Or do I say, do you play bass already? No, my friend told me it was good for a microphone. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've just started a band and uh, I have to get a bass amp. Do you know that the 10-watt amp, nobody's going to be able to hear you play? So my job is to ask questions, get information, and I'll say to myself, you need to paint a picture of your customer, ask enough questions to get a full picture of the environment that they're playing in, rehearsing in, how they're using it, so that you can give them the correct advice. It's interesting because you're not, from your perspective, from other people's perspective listening, that's going to be classed as an upsell. Yeah. But from your perspective, it's actually Mm. making sure it's qualifying. It's fit for purpose. It's qualifying that it's fit for purpose. And I've got a story about your staff as well when you weren't there. So I came oh, in one oh, time on. looking for a piano seat for my little six-year-old now, and she's just learning how to play the piano, ting, 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 and concert music didn't have it in stock. The guy behind the counter, can't recall his name, looked it up online, found me another shop and directed me, rang the shop, directed me to the shop, and I got a seat for my little one. That's impeccable. How's yeah. that? Ideally, we would have had it in stock, but the last three yeah. years it's hard to have things in stock. But my view is if we – that's part of helping you. If we can't help you, we will help you. That you've um, won a customer. And that we want to become, as I say – again, I say to my new staff, you want to become their mate in the business. You want to become the person that anytime anybody around them talks about musical instruments, they go, oh, you've got to speak to my mate James. Oh, you've got to speak to my mate Anthony. Oh, you've got to speak to my mate Graham. Become their mate in the business. That's your job. Yeah. Sorry, Anthony. No, I've, look, I've come to your work and I've seen your office and this is combining two questions, but one, how has marketing changed over the years? Oh, and mm. two, you've got this jigsaw puzzle oh, yeah. on yeah. your wall that I've asked you about before mm. and uh, I find a story. question. That question. <laughs> That's a good story. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So Give when did we start me. at the first one or the second one? The, the first one has changed absolutely dramatically. And foundationally nothing's changed because it's still about helping people and teaming with people to respect and getting to know them and helping them. When I opened the shop, there was the yellow pages. That was the – and the daily <laughs> news and the only place you could advertise. And you, there was no internet – we had the first fax machine, not that they helped with marketing. When we ordered stock, we had to write it out in an order pad by hand, post it in the mail to Sydney for them to open up, to read it, to fill out a handwritten invoice, to put in a box, to send it back. And three or four weeks later, we'd get the note saying, no, sorry, it's out of stock. These days, it, everything is instant, instant. But the advertising then was the yellow pages. That's, And at the peak, we would have been spending 50 grand a year in the yellow pages which sounds ridiculous wow. now no. because Standard. in a very short period of time, the yellow pages just disappeared. Yellow pages weren't my thing coming up. How's that as yeah. a marketing? You've got one of the biggest, strongest marketing tools in the world to nothing. Yeah, and they just forgot what their job was. Yeah, They thought their job was selling advertising space in the yellow pages. That's where they just disappeared. But it wasn't unusual for shops to be a quarter-sized ad, which is the biggest one you had, oh, and do you want colour, and do you want this extra heading? All of a sudden you spent $30,000, $40,000 on a quarter-page ad in the Yellow Pages. But the Yellow Pages was gold. Once you got up to the first position, people that's the only place you could go for information. 
So in that respect, it's changed dramatically. Now it's all, I Googled it, I Googled it. And I remember first people used to say, I Googled it. Because, again, I'll ask every customer I serve if I don't know them. I'll say, oh, do you mind if I ask how you heard of us? And we, oh, I was just driving past. Still the best form of advertising is my teacher said, my friend said, I went and heard a band and they said, all the barriers are down. They've been told to ask for you to come to you. Their barriers are gone. You don't have to start from scratch. You don't have to sell at that point. It's a, yeah, you're there industry. to help them. It's a warm introduction. So you've got your cold, yeah. your warm, and your hot. Yeah. So where you can introduce somebody to a lead, yeah. you've got your warm intro. Yeah, yeah. So now it's the gold is still this. If a teacher tells you you need to buy a better guitar or a better trombone, it's like you you love your teacher. Awesome, my teacher thinks I'm good <laughs> enough. If a salesman in a shop who you don't know or trust says, oh, you should buy an expensive one, you go, you're just trying to sell me an expensive instrument, yeah. you know, even though it might be genuine. So we've got to pull back from that. But I think that's all part of your consultative approach with asking yeah. lots of questions up front and then finding the right product yeah. to match rather yeah. than going for that upsell or cross-sell or downsell, whatever. You're yeah. just naturally I want to upsell. I want to upsell in the sense that I want my happy customer. The customer who bought that expensive guitar versus the $200 one, they were so happy. They were like, I can't, can't thank you enough. We're so glad we didn't buy it online because if they bought it on online, they would have got a good $200 guitar. A cardboard box would have turned out. They would have opened it. They wanted, oh, the guitar's here. What kind of experience is that? But they've now been to the store, they've tried a whole lot of guitars, they've looked around and they've got all excited and they've gone home with it and gone, oh my, that was awesome. Wow. So I'm trying to replicate that. If I, and it's very hard online. You get an order online, I've got another order for a $200 guitar, put a dress label on it, put it in the courier. See yeah, I think you could do that though with a nice actual human-backed live chat. Yeah, yeah, I've been challenged on that before. But again, psychology-wise, people have often ordered online because they don't want to talk to someone. That's and if you ring them, if you ring them, it's... Is that a website? If tip? I wanted to talk to somebody, I would have come in. I'm just thinking, just because, just with my background going, for me, Graham's product is his customer service. And, he's, and what he doesn't want to do by moving to online is lose that. So my natural thing is just yeah. put Graham's team online. So yep. technology, you would use, you do a little chat app, like a messenger or WhatsApp. Yep. Yep. And I know you a couple could. of stores who use it with mixed success. I'm still- You're just trying to find the right I'm thing. I'm trying to find that thing that, because I find that people who order online, if you ring them and say, why did you buy the $200 guitar? Yeah, have you thought about the $700 one? They go, mate, just send me what I ordered, will you? Or by the way, yeah. cancel the order. They don't, it's a different- they're coming from a very different place. I've been online. I've researched everything. That Yamaha is the most popular student model on the market. And it's got a five-year warranty. Okay. okay can't okay. help you then. So if I took the front foot and said, oh, why did you order this one over the phone? When they don't know me. Yeah, okay. If they knew me, that's different. I say, James, you just ordered that $200 guitar. Who's it for? Uh, I, would, me, I would ask um, you, who's it for? Me with no talent. Right. <laughs> I say, James, have you thought about golf clubs? No. No, I would say. This is what I do. James, I would say, James, if you've got no talent, you need a good guitar to give you all the help you can. <laughs> with his time, and he gave so many helpful tips, we didn't want to stop him. So we weren't going to post an episode next week, so we've decided to split this episode into two. So you have another full episode next week, which is a must listen. In the meantime, have a great week, and let's let Mike take it away. Thanks for listening to the Inbound Outbound podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share with a friend and leave a rating and a review. We'll see you next time on the Inbound Outbound podcast.